Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. From a death from above. That's how it works. That's how it works. Nine different devices right now. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I get a little overwhelmed. <laughs> There's nine devices in this room. This that is how my head feels all the time. <laughs> it's in my brain. I don't know how you do this. This is the OKS Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks. That's just me from the freezer. It's your tag. You hunt how you want. This is OKS Hunter. Wow, man. The Drop Titan really is better in studio. As soon as you walk through that door, just changes things. It's ready. It's that, just ready to hit you. That cat pee lingering in the air. <laughs> Gives you that extra acidity. So, weird story about cat pee, and I don't know, I don't think this is actually what it is, but our house is close to like the little local community park. Okay. Which is up on the hill, but like to get there, we can either take a shortcut through the woods or we walk down our hill on the sidewalk and mm-hmm. then up the following hill takes us to the park. There's this one house that's on the way up the hill that every time I walk by, I get hit with like an interesting aroma. It kind of smells like cat piss. Windex. But it, it, there's also like a weird tree in their yard. So I'm like, every time I go by, I'm like sniffing around. I'm like, is it the tree? It's all your cats is walking there, over to their all house. All of my cats are going <laughs> and pissing on their tree. Like, what's going on here? Very interesting. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that is, yeah. It did, dude, I, I, I did clean a litter boxes yesterday night in prep for garbage day, which is Tuesday. So I'm like, I usually have like a weekly cadence where I'm cleaning this thing. So it shouldn't be that. And then I run the ozone unit. Afterwards, oh, yeah. I got the scent After you things do the going. Box? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it does something. I mean, it definitely kills scent. Well, there was a spot in our basement in the back room where the cats had like smelled something and then peed there, and like that smell uh. like forever got in my brain. You know what I mean? Then you like think you smell it all over. And I ran a little like one of those cheap Amazon ozone things yeah. over it. Yep. But like in my brain, I can still smell it, but no one else can smell it. So I think it's just a problem. With I me. have a th- usually when you guys come down, I'm like, does it smell down here? And you guys are like, no, I'm like, yeah. no, no. Stinks, See, right? I have the same thing. Like I think it stinks. No one else thinks it stinks. Well, we're brought to you by Half Rack. <laughs> <laughs> Cat pee specialist. If I can like find a way to do some ridiculous opening topic and then Rick roll into Half Rack every time, I think that's like a pretty memorable. It makes outcome. you very happy. <laughs> yeah, boy, oh boy, um, their meat lugs coming out soon. My son is like a meat lug. I want to put him in that, take photos, and be like, here's the meat lug. <laughs> I am actually, now that we're thinking about doing Illinois early season hunt. Oh, yeah. Like, I want to put the meat lug to use because that is going to be something I'm definitely going to need to handle is if we get one yeah. early season. And you could use any cooler, but that one is called the meat lug. It would be dedicated for your meat. And it, the size of it, the nature of it, the, the soft cool, the, the ceiling capability, all that stuff seems just like a great choice. Yeah. Then you don't got to tell your wife, oh, I use that cooler for the meat. And then, like, not tell her, but actually, like, slip up at some point or leave a bear uh, meat oh, you you know, rotting in your closet. Leave a bear head in your cooler for <laughs> a month. 
You got, yeah, a, lot of, you got a lot of hate on social for that one. Who well, forgets about a bear? Well, life happens. I okay. did. It was no, my fault. Great. I take the blame. <laughs> anyway, halfrack, halfdashrack.com. <laughs> Use code OHP to save yourself, I think, was it 15% off over there? Yeah, something like that. Um, we're, we'll, we'll save the, the – we have a guest today. He's, he's in the background, so we'll bring him on in a minute. But uh, so we'll skip past Latitude. We'll come back to Latitude. Spartan Forge, SpartanForge.ai, code OHP, 20% off your annual membership, but it is free to try it out. Um, the granularity, the detail, the the constant releasing of new features and updates on there, very nimble, very agile, very quick, um, very practical. I was just looking at my house the other day, and I see my playground. I see all the stuff. Like, it's just crazy. <laughs> the how dead you can grass from the yeah. drought. Like, it's all there. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Oh, is my lawn yellow? Well, that's because that's what's happening. <laughs> so you want real-time data in an area? You want as close to boots on the ground as you can get before you put your boots on the ground? Like, that is it. 100%. I don't know. So that's that. And uh, could belabor that point all day. Bill, Bill might be listening to this episode. I'm not sure. Pretty busy dude. Method archery. Uh, I got to fling some arrows over the weekend. I took my kids to the archery shop, brought my new bear uh, Legend XR with my new Method arrows. These ones actually say Method on them. All my other ones say Vector before they had their name change. I'm still rocking the Vectors. <laughs> and uh, it did pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm happy, but I need to practice. I need to just get comfortable. I think my comparison or analogy that I gave you was it's like if I'm driving an old pickup truck, that <laughs> steering wheel has play in it before the truck will even like switch lanes. And then you get in like a sports car and you, you, you know, touch the wheel to scratch your back and the whole car like jerks. Like that's how it feels to me. Yeah, you just got to iron but out some bumps and figure it, you know, yeah. you, you'll, you guys will be getting along. I got to get the seat to the right position, make <laughs> sure the rear mirror is in the right spot and get comfortable. And, and then I can, you know. If you need height, help with the height, <laughs> yeah. let me know. Yeah, we'll just skyrocket you to the ceiling in here. <laughs> Um, Go Wild, they have they just partnered with Go Ruck, and I don't know if anyone knows this, but Go Wild has their own camouflage pattern, and so they did a, a, a like a collaboration with Go Ruck where it's their camo, like the Go Wild camo design on a Go Ruck, what is it, bag, the GR1, so in in the Go Wild camo, so it's not live just yet, it'll be live tomorrow, so we're a little ahead of time. I don't know if I ask those guys, like, hey, what's new? What can I talk about? But we have this, but it'll be ready tomorrow. So uh, obviously most people listen to this, like, Wednesday morning. So if you're wanting to check that out, it looks pretty awesome. Looking at a picture of it that they sent me, it's honestly pretty cool. And I was talking to Greg Tubbs. He's uh, traveling for work right now, so he's not in studio. He has been wanting to do rucking because he, like, running isn't going to be a speed with his knees and whatnot. So he's like, man, I can just ruck, and that's a great way to, like, stay in shape. It's awesome. AJ Kaz, damn it, I'm going to mess up his last name again. Kazmir, Kazmirik? Kazmirik. Kazmirik. You know you have a hard last name with your first name. I don't want to. a lot of I don't want to hear it. A lot of vowels. <laughs> stacked weirdly with letters at the end of the alphabet. <laughs> he just did a video about rucking and then shooting. So he would do like a walk around the block, shoot his bow, walk around the block, shoot his bow. And he's like, after like the third one of those, he's like, oh, I'm having to breathe pretty deep now and it's getting a little bit trickier. So I think that's a kind of a cool way to. If anyone's trying to, like, stay fit or prep or whatever. Heck, yeah. I don't know. I've never done it. I did that last year before, like, I hadn't been running. Like, this year I'm doing a little bit better. You're doing awesome with the running. But I'm doing a little bit better with running, preparing myself, and just being in shape in general. But last year, like a month before the season, I got, like, an it's a L.L. Bean backpack. It's just got a whole bunch of straps on the back. I actually use it when I go look for moose sheds. Oh. Because you can strap stuff to yeah. it. but. You can also just strap whatever the heck you got mm -hmm. laying around that's heavy. Like a sandbag? Yeah, so I, 
<laughs> so I threw that on there, and I did a couple hikes. We got a bunch of hills by the house, and I would just do a couple hikes, rucking around. Yeah, yeah, you got some good hills. We got, I think we have much. Oh, I got a couple maybe. Fairly flat. Anyway, yeah, fairly flat. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's it. And then latitude, obviously, uh, Code OHP over there. I forget what we're getting on discounts with those guys. I think it's fifteen percent off accessories. Um, we'll have to check back and see, but nonetheless, let's get you on here, dude. Um, Jake Bush, you're live on the show with us. Thanks for impromptu. I think I asked yesterday, hey, can we get Jake on the show? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, and I forgot to send you that link. I do this to everybody. It never gave That's me That's okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, buddy. Oh, well. Guess your Facebook fans are going to miss out. <laughs> That's We'll get them next time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be distracting. Let's not worry about those people. But... Well, welcome to the show, man. You've been uh, very busy, up to a lot of things. Uh, I think the last time we had on our show, we were still where to hunt, and it could have been a tactic talk. It could have been a regular episode. We have since moved from our second floor room to the basement and uh, have changed a lot, but still the same old goofballs doing <laughs> the same old thing. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Uh yeah, been up to a lot on my end. You know, I took a full-time job with Latitude Outdoors now, and I'm the customer education coordinator. So we've been working on a bunch of different videos as far as, like, hunting education, scouting. We're working on some some stuff with the products specifically. Been doing a couple of trade shows. We've been all over the place. We've got the Mobile Hunter Expos com- coming up in the next month and then two months, and there's just a bunch going on all over the place. So, uh, yeah, I always like to come down in the basement and talk deer with somebody. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're doing your own podcast with those guys, the In Sessions, which I've been listening to. Derek's been listening to. I've heard them all, and uh, man, i got to tell you, some of the YouTube stuff, I haven't been able to dive into some of your videos as much as I have the podcast. I've been driving like crazy lately, just running everywhere. So the podcast I've been able to tune into, but I've got some acquaintances and friends who are pretty serious hunters and enjoy the tactical information and they have been absolutely ranting and raving about the stuff you guys have been doing with YouTube and like how to's and your hill country stuff. I mean, I know that's your cup of tea and your bread and butter, but man, they have absolutely loved what you've been doing. So great job. Keep it up. Yeah, thank you. That means a ton. You know, obviously, this is all brand new for me and for us. And so to see good feedback is always, always a great thing. And, you know, the whole idea and the whole concept behind that, behind the video series specifically really stemmed from my issues when I was listening to podcasts, right? Like I love podcasts. I'm a podcast guy and I listen to them all the time, but every once in a while you get like a really high level guest on and they're like, you go East here and West and the ridges facing North and the hubs here and the deer doing this. And my head just starts spinning. And I was like, you know, what would be cool? it'd be, it'd be really cool if I could like see this on video, like with a map, you know what I mean? It would just make it all come together. And so, so I kind of, you know, I had a couple guys I work with and we all kind of dreamed this thing up. And then Derek Bradis, Corey Godar, Alex Chop, all these guys have just done a great job of putting this little dream together for me. And I couldn't be more thankful. I mean, it's been absolutely awesome so far. Our last episode actually launches this Friday. So if you guys want to see that, it's actually top five publicly in Whitetail scouting tactic Ooh, video. Which wow. It, yeah. So basically it's. And it's only based on our experiences from this spring. So don't, so take that with a grain of salt. It's not like we had, you know, a panel of judges deciding what goes where. It was really Derek and I and Corey and Alex traveled the country. We went to a bunch of different states. We scouted on our own. We scouted with Chris Lepper, Josh Luck, Greg Glitzinger, and Ryan Glitzky. And so we just took, like, all of that and came up with our top five from the Incession series this year. 
but I think it turned out great. It's going to be an awesome video. Like I said, it launches Friday. So if you guys do want to watch that, it's pretty good. Yeah, it'll be on while I'm working in here. <laughs> I'll definitely I work from home on Fridays. It'll be on the TV in the studio while I'm working for sure. That's one of those where. Man, yeah. there was, I, just listening to the, the podcast part, man, there's so many things that you can, a person can just relate to. And I, I hope I'm not giving like in your top five or whatever, but one of the things, I think it was the you and Alex and all the guys that like you had just done a scouting mission and you were talking about it in one of your podcasts, episode three or four or whatever. And one of the things I just thought was awesome was you guys were talking about each day you went to a different spot. And in one of the spots you had it like in your mind, it looked so great. And you got there and you had scouted like six or seven miles and it kind of just, you didn't find what you were looking for, but you just kept going. And you ended up finding some awesome little hidden gems that weren't visible on the map that if you would have turned around after mile three or four, you would have never found. And it was like, man, I've done that so many times where I get to a property. It's not what I thought. And I'm like, I should just leave. No, well, let's just go look at, you know, a little bit further, a little bit further. And you end up finding something. So like that in itself was like, that's such a great tip that most people like just want to end it easy and go home. At least you guys know what you're looking for. <laughs> I'll just wander around the whole time like I don't know. This could be as good I as mean, the other spot. I clearly didn't see that sign <laughs> that Derek called out. But <laughs> like I don't know. Um no, but like the the filming that you guys are doing to put that into video context, I think is pretty pretty hardcore and awesome. Like that's not easy to do. It takes a lot of work, production, thought has to go into that. Like and and then to stay consistent with it. Dude, it's a huge lift. I I have to commend you guys and um, and then you guys are putting on Latitude's putting on a film festival. Like, wh right? Is that at the the Mobile Hunter Expo that that's happening? Yeah. So that'll be the Kalamazoo Expo in Michigan, late July, and we're actually still taking entries for that. So if anybody listening to this wants to submit a video for the film fest, there's some awesome prizes attached to that whole film fest. So we would appreciate any sort of videos that we can get. We're gonna do a review of them and come up with like a certain amount to actually launch at the film fest, but. It should be a great time. So if you guys want to launch a video, we would greatly appreciate that. I may have talked to my producer, uh, Jace Martinetto with <laughs> Martinetto Media, and I was like, hey, do we do we think we can do something with this? <laughs> I, would love that. I was going to say, I, I would love that. your hunt this year, I don't know if that, I don't, like, I don't think it was over 10 minutes. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But I don't know if like that as a standalone would work. So whatever, I was like, maybe we can work <laughs> with what we have and like re-cobble it together to have a little bit. Who knows? Is there an okayest hunting video <laughs> category? <laughs> we can, hey, we can make it work. Yeah, it's can we get like most entertaining? Or all the angles like are bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. I would. Jace's angles are good. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just a, just a fail reel, like eight minutes of failing. People are like, oh, that's me. Oh, that happened to me. Oh, yeah. Glad that wasn't me. I think you know you laugh. <laughs> you, you laugh. The whole the whole blooper thing with our in session. We were thinking about the same thing. Like today, we're sitting down in this basement and. We're coming up with the last one. We're recording the VO for it. And I must have done 150 takes on that <laughs> oh, for the outro. Epic. And Derek's standing in the corner, and I can keep seeing his eyes peeking at me. And every time he does, I just lose it. So, like, I made him leave the room. <laughs> like, he had to leave. Or <laughs> but, but, yeah, we got bloopers on bloopers, so we would appreciate it. It would be awesome. That's a fun one. Yeah, definitely be different. I always try to do different, not better. Like, I'm not going to do a better hunt than someone or, like, a more cinematic something. But I'm like, I could do something different. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. When we were doing like when I first so 2013 was my when I started podcasting. That's when you like had the inception of where to hunt. And I remember doing the VO for for that. And I had my buddy there with me. 
and I was doing, should I say, welcome to the or welcome to the? <laughs> and like I didn't, oh, I and then I couldn't remember what we decided when the like he hit the record button. I was like, welcome to the, and I was like, am I supposed to say the or the? So I was like, welcome <laughs> to the fuck. Like <laughs> he's like, we're rolling with that, man. That's got to be it. That's perfect. <laughs> Oh. When, yeah, when recording lights go on, whether video or audio, like stuff just gets a little weird sometimes, you know, armpits start to sweat a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's awkward. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. You just got to roll with it. Just yeah. Keep on rolling. No. And, and so you guys, uh, as far as I understand, the Carbon Series speed sticks are like, you know, they won best product at ATA. Um, they're starting to ship end of this month. Like, is that I don't I don't have a date. No one gave me a date. I think that's fine. I'm not going to ask you for a date, but. Like you guys are ready to to rock with those things come end of month. It sounds like, yeah, we are, and it it will be the end of June, and then it's gonna obviously go out and do it like mid July ish a little bit, just depending on order numbers. But but yeah, we're really excited for those. So I've had them on and off for a while, and I've been testing them, and I've I've personally loved them. I'm really excited about it. They pack amazing. They're really light. They stick to the tree great. The attachment method to me is like nothing I've ever used before. I came from a cam buckle. I've tried rope mods, but this thing is just slick. It just, it's so easy. But, you know, in the back of my head through all that, I'm thinking like, it's a very biased opinion for me, right? Like it's, yes, I want the best gear. And that's kind of what led me to work with Latitude to begin with. Like, I really love their saddles. I love their accessories. Their ropes have been awesome. I always really liked their branding and how clean everything was. But this opinion on the sticks to me, I was like, I'm, I, I'm taking it with a grain of salt for myself because I'm probably a little bit biased. But I was at TAC this last week and being at TAC, seeing these sticks in the hands of hundreds of different people that were, I mean, really using the sticks well. And, you know, we have the trees set up there, so we get people that come up and they tear them down, they set them back up. They're jumping up and down on these things, and they are amazing. They held up great. Basically, every person that I talked to loved them. So I'm really excited to get them in the hands of the masses and just see how people, how people take them. I think it's going to be awesome. I think they're going to be a great addition to anybody's setup. That's got to be a really good feeling when, you know, you like the product, but, you know, you're, you're working for the company. So I see the bias side of it. But then to see it in the hands of, like, the everyday people yeah. who are there and to know that it is as exciting and cool as you thought it was, yeah. that's great. Yeah, you got to believe yeah. in it yourself. Otherwise, you you wouldn't have done it. Like, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't weren't already a believer. And you're like, well, I'm really glad this product doesn't suck. <laughs> this kicks ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can get behind. This is great. I don't have to use this. For the camera and then switch to my actual stuff like you can use it for real for real but the no metal thing i think is really kind of cool like you guys have done such a good job or latitude's done such a good job with like reducing any sort of noise on their systems so i think that's just really cool i'm excited to see what you guys continue to do to innovate because as we've talked about on this podcast openly like innovation's hard when everyone's doing it and they've been doing it for a while now like it it's like you know you can anybody any joker can go up on a uh, to the golf course and, and start knocking balls on a fairway or on a driver. But then you start to like fine tune things and get to the putting green. And it's like, well, now, now hold on a second. That's not so easy. It's like happy Gilmore. Most people are happy Gilmore. <laughs> and then, you know, everyone else trying to do micro movements and fine tune adjustments. This is a terrible analogy. Like someone put me out of my misery here. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, uh, but yeah, and I, I will say that, you know, it's really nice working with a bunch of guys that just, are very creative and their minds are always at work. Like there's no shut off switch for us. And I talk about this all the time. Like I'll text Alex. I was texting Alex five minutes ago and you know, Derek left my house a half hour ago and I was like, we're always talking to each other. And the really nice thing about latitude and the guys that are like specifically our engineers in the background 
are if you have a crazy idea or a wild idea and you pitch it to them, they're going to do whatever they can to try to figure out how to make that come to life. And I think that's where a lot of these ideas and this innovation is born from. And so I'm really excited for the future. I think there's going to be a lot of big things coming from Latitude in the future. Yeah, I have to believe so. Like my, I, no one has whispered a word of this to me. I'm not saying this is a thing that's on the horizon or not, but like I could almost envision, and let's maybe pitch this to the engineers and see what they have to say. But like, All right, I'm perked up. What do you got? What do you got here? <laughs> we, we talk about like reducing metal noise and like there's magnets in the in the saddles and like it's all this mesh and and then you come up with these carbon series speed sticks, this proprietary carbon fiber plastic blend or what you know this aerospace stuff, and uh, like at, at when are we gonna get a like when are we gonna get a platform that doesn't make any metal noise, you know that. So. <laughs> Yep. So I'll have to ref- I'll refer these guys to the podcast and let them listen to you. You just pitched it for them. There so. we go. Like I want it to be <laughs> just as effective as anything else, but like I don't want it to make noise. Let's just not. Let's just take metal out of the equation completely. Uh, is that safe? I have no idea if that can hold up. Uh, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of like OSHA safety guideline regulations you have to meet. Like you have to be what 10x or something times the actual weight it could hold or whatever. So yeah. Anyway. I'll stop talking. I'm no engineer for products. I think the only product we have is a buck run tube that Matt made for us. <laughs> not knocking it, but I can't do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> We're not a product company. I love it. Um, no, so like, I-, I wanted to get into the the technicality of things. Like, I think the the season, um, you know, and I actually came to tears watching the episode you had after your dad had passed. I'm really sorry that happened, man. But my wife came in the living room. She's like, "What are you? Are you?" are you crying? Are you, what are you doing? You're watching a hunting video. I'm like, it's very emotional. Just don't ask about it right now. I can't, I can't talk. I actually can't talk. Cause like, I can't fathom how you must've felt with that. But the, the way you set up on these deer is so insanely calculated. Like, man, I, for me, I'm throwing darts at a dartboard half the time and I can, I can aim a little bit, but it's still pretty off and I'll get lucky and hit the, the triple 20 every now and again, like this buck on the wall. But by and large, like you're hitting triple, you're aiming for triple twenties and you're hitting them. Like, how are you distilling that much information to know I need to take this travel corridor at this time and getting this tree on this day? Like, you've got it dialed in. And, and I think I'll stop talking and get to the question here, but to kind of lay it up a little bit more, last year you mentioned like you're in the woods 300 days out of the season whether that's scouting and or hunting. And like, I think last year it was 70 days or something like that from what I maybe listened to. And you're getting in this new space now where it's going to be significantly limited. And so initially I was going to be like, can you help us distill this for us? Okay, as folks, like what can we take out of your playbook to lever up? And I'm not asking for shortcuts necessarily, but um, I don't know what the hell I'm asking. How do you do it, man? That's a loaded question with a long answer and I intended to be because I want to talk about this. I love it. So there is a ton to unpack there, right? And it's a great question. There's, it really involves the entire process for me, and we can we can deep dive into that. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at it from this year a little bit and how my perspective's changing with having less time to scout. So it's actually kind of a, it's kind of a funny situation. So in the past, I've been very scouting focused, and my goal is to, my goal has always been to scout as much as possible and hunt the least amount possible to kill like if that makes any sense at all jake can i stop you real quick just to clarify yeah you're good when you're talking scouting as much as possible are you saying preseason scout as much as possible yes in season scout as much as possible or just both so so both really so i it's obviously going to be heavily focused on 
like the majority of the scouting that I'm doing has always been focused on early season. And that's kind of why my success has always been early season. You know, that first, let's say been fantastic. One, one to 10 days, right? Like I have a one to 10 day period where I feel very dangerous, but we've seen twice now in the last four years where I get out of that 10 day window and I struggle really bad. You know, I ended up getting lucky and filling my tag mid November in 2020, but last year I just, I just couldn't put it together. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I'm very hyper-focused on the early season thing. And like, that's, that's my bread and butter. And I, that's what I really love to do. So, so I'm very like preseason scouting focused throughout the year. And I mean, I'll get to the point where I'll even take vacation to scout at times because I feel that confident that if I find the right thing, I'll be where I need to become the opener and I can just be extremely efficient and go in and, you know, calculate it and try to make that, make that kill. But uh, this year, things are changing up quite a bit. So this, so with the new job, you know, we're traveling around, we're filming. I am getting a lot of like out-of-state scouting done. But as far as in-state scouting, that's been put on the back burner a lot with all this production and everything else we got going on, our you know, tech events and expos and and everything else. So that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I do definitely have a lot less time to scout Ohio. But what I do get is I have a lot more time to hunt it. Like now, like come hunting season. I get to hunt, you know, like I'm going to be hunting, but I won't have the intel that I normally have because I don't have the same amount of days in the woods. So I'm looking at trying to find that balance. Um, in the past, you know, I've just covered, I've covered a ton of ground in Ohio every single year. And, you know, last year I totaled just a little bit over 1200 miles boots on the ground and that's scouting and hunting throughout the season. But this year, it's, it's going to be a couple hundred miles in the summer. A lot of that's mainly going to be running cameras. So the thing I have going for me that's really nice is I've been down here. This will be my fifth year. And basically anything within two hours of my house and even beyond that in some directions, I've scouted like every square foot of it. I mean, I've been all over the land down here. I put, I've just done everything I can to like explore and find these little hidden gems and these little nooks where I think it'll hold a good buck and just you know, fine tune those throughout the years. So coming into this year, what I'm looking at is I really want to stay focused on areas that have produced for me in the past, but I want to cast a wide net as well. So, you know, I'm not going to be going into like brand new areas and setting out a ton of cameras, but I will be running cameras in areas I've ran them in the past. And my goal is to just cast a really wide net. And I learned a lot last year from EHD. So it's funny because people probably listen to me on a podcast and I'm very back and forth. And I've heard Dan Infault talk about this before. He's like, you know, people will question him because his tactics kind of change throughout the years and mine do the same thing, but it's supposed to work that way. We're supposed to evolve. We're supposed to have conflicts. We're supposed to change our thought process and become better. And so obviously like what we're doing is going to change quite a bit. And what I did last year, I'm actually going back on now. Last year, I decided I was going to have five core areas. I was going to have five hub systems that I talk about, you know, the hubs that the sea would face either east to north that 90 degrees and it will run out to either ag or to like a really good section of white oak somewhere in there like that's really been my hyper focus down here in the hills of ohio and the problem last year was i had five areas i really focused on and ehd hit all five of those areas so i go pull my cameras in september when i always do and i don't have any deer above a three-year-old to chase and there's nothing wrong with killing a three-year-old but for my own journey and what I'm looking for, I just want to let those three-year-olds try to get to the next level if I can. 
and be a little smarter. And I just love that chase. Like I really enjoy that chase. So for me, it was just, I want to find a little bit older buck. Like that's all I wanted at the end of the day. And if I would have casted a wide net, like I've done in the past, both in New York and in Ohio, I would have had deer to chase just plain and simple. I would have, I would have found deer, but I didn't cast that wide net and it really came back to bite me. And it took me, you know, 60 days in season. It took me all the way to January to even find a target to go after. And by that time they're starting to shut out and everything else. So I'm, I'm looking back at that season. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to change it up because I want to do anything I can to never be in that situation again. And is it completely unavoidable? I don't think it is, but I do think that you can take your mistakes and your lessons learned. And I think you can evolve and become a better person and a better hunter because of it. You know, it goes far outside hunting, but looking at hunting, I'm, I'm looking to evolve from last year on my mistakes and just try to eliminate that. And so I'm going back to the way I used to be casting that super wide net. We're going to circle back around to the super wide net thing here. And I'm, I'm just going to, like I said, I'm going to run a bunch of cameras in different systems. And I'm really just going to try to locate good deer. And then I'm going to try to kill them off of what I know and how I think they're going to be in that area. And that, that's going to come down to a lot of the scouting that I've done in the past. You know, I have, like when I go into an area and I scout, I find all the bedding and I find all the food and I find the hub scrapes and everything else. Right. But it's really a matter of putting that together. For me, it's saying bedding area A is going to be active when food source A is actually hot like a white oak flat dropping. But in a lot of those areas, and this is where I think a lot of people get it wrong, those areas might only be active for seven days, right? So, Or even less. Or even less. So I think a lot of people <laughs> go into these systems and they're really excited about it and they find a bedding area with hair in the beds and they find rubs and they find scrapes and they find a white oak flat and they put all their eggs in that basket. Well, the white oak flat isn't hot that year and they don't even use the bedding area. And so I think like, the big thing that, that we need to do is we need to get in these systems and dissect them down to, okay, bedding area A is food source A. If that's active, this area is active. If bedding area B, if, if food source B is active, they're going to be bedded over here. They might not be bedded over in bedding area A anymore. So you need to be able to navigate that. And I think that's where you start getting into the fine details is like when you can, when you can go in the woods and you can really start to dissect what bedding area they're in based off the active food source at the time, that's when I think you become really efficient early season. And that's, you know, for a long time, I didn't know that this is something that I focused on so heavily, but I'm really, I would say I'm like, you know, everybody calls me a bed guy, but I would say that I'm 90% a food guy. I've throughout my hunting journey, I've been more focused on the food source and then targeting a deer based on that food source than I have been about any bedding area. Do I know where the beds are at? Absolutely. I need to because I'm setting up really close to them, but I'm not even looking at that bedding area if the food source isn't hot. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's the fundamentals of where this whole thing starts. I, I mean, obviously this is your observation of yourself, so you're probably correct, but I couldn't agree more. Uh, Jake, I've listened to almost everything that you've put out. And you're constantly talking about food trees. Every podcast I've ever heard you, you can't, you know, you don't go on very long without mentioning some sort of oak or whatever kind of food tree there are. So you saying, you know, wow, I really am a food. Like, that's exactly what I got from listening to every podcast you've done. Um, and you're basically just hunting how food relates to where you think that you are bedding, right? Like you're not hunting bedding. You, you find systems that work in your favor to intercept deer moving to food. 
and that's yeah you, and then you're great at that that's what you do like you found a system that works you've manipulated it in such a way to make it work for you in those first 10 days of season that's just wildly efficient well, my my thing is like to just add some color to this from the the idiot's perspective is like <laughs> how like i'm making a lot of assumptions and i'm making estimated guesses and i i'm probably more in the i'm far like 90 percent of the camp of where you're headed where like i think even on our our oks hunter show that we put out on youtube and carbon tv i think derek uh, uh, or like uh, jace had asked you and greg what's eric's biggest issue and like derek had answered like eric just hasn't had time to scout like so you're going in blind i didn't have any intel on the trail cams like like nothing i'm just picking spots and throwing sits because i'm like i'll be damned if i don't go hunting yeah i'm gonna hunt what am i gonna get into i, I have no idea and and so you know, this idea of like bedding area A, food source A, bedding area B, food source B, if this is active, that, that's an active area. Are you, how are you confirming or affirming that? So my issue is as a hunter, and I've said this out loud several times, is that I might be making the right moves, but I would never have the confirmation or affirmation to know that has been validated unless I've had eyes on bucks. So it's one of the, that's a picture that you see like the guy digging a ground and then the one turns back and then the other digs, but he's like right there about to break through. Like I never get to break through unless I see a deer and get to kill it. Like, so I've gotten, I think I'm better at that, but I, I like, how do you know, is there a buck in that area? Are you, how are you validating that? And then B, what advice do you have for people that aren't as confident that haven't had that much time in the woods collectively to feel that confidence that like I, I talked to Derek and he just knows he'll he'll speed scout a property and like nope not hold bucks out. And I'm like man how did you figure that out? My cousin same way white tail adrenaline guys same way hunting public similar. Like you you look at some of these folks like yourself and those others that I listed and and it's just this confidence in playing the chess game. So I'm asking a couple questions. Um, are you like do you have trail cam cams out where you're like oh there there is inventory here. This is the buck that I want. There is one in that area. Or like how are you doing that? Yeah, so that's a great question. And to break it down, I think the thing that I do down here well is like I focus, I hyper focus on one specific thing, right? Like for me, it's a hub system. I'm not spending a ton of time way up on the ridges. I'm not spending a ton of time in like long ridges. Like I'm really trying to find these very diverse, very, very like terrain based systems that just hold a lot of bedding opportunity. If they have clear cuts, that adds to it. If they have a bunch of different food sources around, it adds to it. If it's hard to access, even better. If it's a swampy bottom, even better. Like I can pull all these things together and that's what I'm really trying to focus on. And for me, yes. So when I get in a hub system, like I feel like the best way to become a very efficient hunter is you can either, you have two options, right? You can either focus on a little bit of everything and be a jack of all trades, which is great. That's very important. Or you can take the approach like I have and you get really good at one thing, but you're missing a bunch of holes in your game later down the road. And so like, that's me, like it, like on the surface, I probably look like I'm a very well-rounded hunter to a lot of people, but like, I can tell you, I'm not, I'm missing a lot of the, what I should be doing. And it's really showcased like during the rut, like I struggle more than just about anybody that I know during the rut. Like I cannot find deer. I can't get on deer. I really have a hard time late season it kind of gets back into that same early season thing. But like the time when a lot of people are really successful and love being in the woods, I hate being in the woods. 
the first three weeks of November. I would just I, was, I would just rather not even take my bow and go scout, to be honest with you. That's just I mean, at least from a weather standpoint, I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. If you want to contrast early season mosquitoes to late season, like your mid season November. Um, no, that's interesting. But like can you go back real quick and can you define what you're classifying as a hub system? Because on the recent podcast, I think it was seven, um, with Ryan, you talked about a micro hub. I'm like, shit, I don't even know what a hub is. Like I've heard Derek talk about rub clusters. I actually think Tony Peterson talked about it when we had him on, too. I don't know if he called it the same thing. He did. Okay. So, like, I'm picking up these really fun uh, new concepts. So, like, <laughs> let's add another one to my list of things I can consider for this season. What are you class? You, you talked about this diverse habitat. Um, and you talked about the, the horseshoe of the hub facing, like, a certain direction, northeast or, or whatever you had said there. So, like, can you just explain that real quick for the listeners and me? Yep, so I am going to do a little shameless plug here, and if anybody really wants a good visual representation with maps, the Latitude and Session videos showcase this a lot, and th it was actually one of the reasons that we came up with that it was exactly because of this question, because it's it's a very hard thing to explain, right? But, like, the best way to do it is I can tell you, like, put your hand up like a C, right? And then you can see that there's an opening this way. So this C, like where your fingers are, represent the way that the hills would be shaped. So I would have a main ridge, that's my hand. I would have a sub ridge as my thumb and a sub ridge as my pointer. And those are gonna be the bedding points. Now any little sub bedding points I can get in here, add to it. Like I have spots where there's, like within the sea, there's 15 or 20 different points that jut out. So for, you know, 270 degrees of the wind direction for a leeward bedded buck, he can bed somewhere up here and have a wind advantage and have a sight advantage. That reminds so, me a lot of, um, I took sailing lessons a long time ago, and there's something called a, a point of sail. And people don't understand that when you're sailing, you don't have to just have the wind to your back. Like, you can hit the wind and get the wind to fill your sail same every way except for directly in, which is bluffing. So yes. that's, I'm just trying to, like, picture in my head. So and that's you, why, yeah. you know, he's saying the yeah, more the those little small of, yep. bump outs, the more yeah. opportunistic that deer can be to use that hub, right? I don't want to or, put words in your mouth. No, 100%. But, or I run into this a lot in Ohio. The more of those bedding points you have, the more mature deer there are. And so, like, I have certain hubs that, each other. Just like this, <laughs> that you could have four or five five-year-old bucks in these hubs early season in Ohio. I'm talking, like, I could have 560-plus-inch deer in the same system on public ground just because that hub is that diverse. But the thing that really... Like, I, I always hear this, and I've already got it on the YouTube videos a little bit, and I totally understand where they're coming from. Like, I've been there myself. Everybody talks about getting busted down in these hubs, right, because the wind directions. You know, we're going down a rabbit hole. I'm going to circle back to the camera thing, I promise. No, it's cool. It's cool. Everybody's, everybody's talking about, like, the wind swirling down there, but the thing that I've learned is you have an opening here, right? Like, the sea faces this way. If the wind is blowing that way, like, from the back of the sea to the front of the sea, and that's the way that the drainage runs – you have an elevation drop, right? You're losing elevation, so at night your thermals are going to pull. And if the wind is straight in line with that drain, with that drainage, and it's not too of a high velocity, your scent all day long will get sucked right out of that. So if you access from this way with the wind in your face, you get in here, you are bulletproof on your wind all day long. Now, where people get in trouble is if they have a crosswind. So as soon as you have a crosswind blowing like this, it swirls like crazy in those hubs because the wind hits the hills, the hills have thermals. It creates just this washing yeah. machine down there. So like that's the big thing. I hear people hunting hubs and getting winded a lot. I'm like, 
you got to hunt them on the day where the wind is blowing directly out the drainage or at least very close to really have a high probability of success in there. Otherwise, you're probably going to get blown out. And I've done it myself. So what I do is I find them for every direction. If you find one for a south wind, for a north wind, for an east wind, for a west wind, you're, you have somewhere to hunt all the time. So like I would say that the predominant prevailing wind in Ohio is going to be west or south, right? So the majority of the hubs I'm finding, we get back to this east or north thing, are draining out to either the north or to the east in that 90 degree area. So that's my number one focus, but I always have to have backup plans. And I do this a lot when I go out of state. I make sure I have a hub system scouted with cameras in it for every wind direction because I would hate to go to Kentucky, right? Like, let's go to Kentucky on a four-day trip, and I've scouted these hubs that face to the north for a south wind, and I get there and I have a north wind the whole time. Well, I can't hunt that hub system now because my wind's going to be blowing right to the bedded deer. So, like, having all of these played out in your head and having backup plans for all those wind directions is huge. Now where I get into actually running cameras in these areas is I'll like, if you find a hub like that, the majority of the time there is going to be some sort of scrape in there. And typically it's going to be down low where all those trails converge. It's just like a rut convergence. Like you have the hub of the wheel. So down there, if there isn't a scrape, I'll create a hub scrape. But a lot of times there's already a good like beat down scrape with, you know, tons of licking branches, the dirt's, scraped out from years and years and years of use and i'll run a camera down there and i've had i mean i put one out in june of 2019 when i moved here and i checked that camera in july and i had over 15 bucks on that camera in a month like just different deer using that system they all walk by that camera so wow if you want to collect your inventory throughout the summer that's a great way to do it is run it on those hub scrapes and we get into a bunch of things there right like we can go down uh five hour conversation on this but when you like what i do as far as my cameras is i put them out in like right now june early july get them all out in the woods and then i let them soak i let them soak until the month of september we open up at the end of september so i start checking my worst cameras first like the first week of september and as we get closer to the opener i wait to check them and i'll check my best cameras or the like where i think the biggest deer is going to be last like within like three to five days a season. The reason I'm doing that brings me all the way back to your question about verifying food sources. And I'm doing that because when I'm in there checking that camera, I'm also verifying the food sources that day. So I'm only going in there and intruding one time. So that's my thought process. The reason why I wait to check those cameras until September, this is a huge detail. This is one of the most important things with Hill Country is a lot of these systems that aren't extremely diverse, like if you don't have a bunch of clear cuts in there and it's really mature timber and it's just like oaks in there, there's not going to be a lot of deer in there if there's an ag field close by in the summertime. So if you run cameras in there and you pull them in just before the deer shift back into the big woods, you're going to check that camera and be like, I don't even have a deer on it. This spot's junk. But if you would have let those cameras soak another week, those deer are going to shift back into the hardwoods on those white oaks and it's loaded with deer. So I've actually made that mistake quite a bit myself, and I've learned my lesson where the cameras need to soak until the shift. Like, I anticipate the acorn shift every year. That's crazy. That's one of those things that I wouldn't, I would not get the deer, and I would just, like you said, I wouldn't even realize I was making the mistake. And I think that's probably a lot of hunters. Like, oh, no deer. Like, I've done my homework. There's no inventory here. Writing it off. (laughs) And you think maybe you're doing great. 
And it's like, it's hard to even have that much awareness to know that you have potentially made a mistake by checking too soon. Like, this is what I mean when I talk to guys like you and Derek and others that are like these, these killers. You guys are attuned at, in tune at such a level that it's like hard for other, it's, I've explained this to like a, a professor in college being, you know, too damn <laughs> smart to be teaching. Not to say that that's what's happening here, but sometimes people are so good at their craft. It's, you're aware of things that like, I can't even begin to fully understand until you get those experience points under your belt. Well, it's I've I've seen it in a couple of different ways and exactly what Jake is talking about too where like I've been with friends who have hung cameras on like a rub line, right? Like the big rub line from the last year and sometimes it's not food related, but it's just cover related here in Wisconsin, security cover related. So it's probably going to hold deer at some point during the fall. Like they're dealing with they're they're betting here because of security. But they hang it on a rub line. They're excited. We do like a spring scouting session. They hang the camera in June or July and then, you know, check it before season. Well, there's nothing on it. Tore the camera down. Well, dude, they don't, they're not even rubbing yet. Like they're not, they're using that area obviously during the fall. Once they've shed their velvet, once the transition has happened, you can't judge summer pictures, you know, what's going to happen in the fall. Just like he's saying, Jake really focuses on these food sources, especially with oaks. Like, if the deer are hitting a hot oak, like it's going to happen quick within days. So his theory of like doing it in a few days before you're going to hunt is excellent. And that's why like a lot of the cameras I hang are like where I can hang and then I have a tree already planned to hunt within 30 yards of that camera. So I know if I check that camera on my way in and there's something good, I have a spot that I can already set up and hunt in. It's all that like matter of time that most recent information that makes the biggest difference. Yeah, the, the timing of information and intel, like you're talking about a uh, rub line, historically, this is a rub line, someone hang camera there, nothing happens. You're like, well, that's because they're not using it. Derek had one, at one point had mentioned, I think he, you had done some videos for our YouTube, and you were talking about the age of, of rubs, which is a very apparent, like, but it wasn't an occurring thought. Like, the information's there, but I'm not seeing the message. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh, so you're like this this rub was probably made in September. This one's probably made in October. This one's made in November. This one's, and then you're like, well, if this is hot in September, then I would look at this area for a September hunt, not a November hunt. And the November hunt where the, like, I would always just be like, oh, that's a fresh rub. This is, look, this looks good. I want to do this. That's different intel. It's telling you a different message about what's happening at a different point in time. This is like, man, this stuff is so, this is why I love deer hunting because it, it's just, it's endless. The things that you can learn and apply. And um, Bill is just texting me, and uh, he was talking about um, their LIDAR feature. And I'm not going to try to go define what LIDAR means, other than it's like it's terrain features, but, but naked. It strips out any of the vegetation, any of that satellite imagery, and it gets you this crystal clear image in 3D of those ridges. So, so when you're talking about that sea, and that what Jake was mentioning off of the sea, it becomes much more apparent, right? Yeah, I'm going to share my screen for... And for Jake probably uses that, I would imagine. <laughs> for anybody viewing right now, you can get a sense for what I'm... I'm just sharing an Instagram post they have, but that this is what I'm talking about. It's like, I say naked because it's like, reminds me of like a naked cat or a naked rat. <laughs> just looks a little different than what we're used to seeing. I don't know of any other app that has this this feature um, to do a 3D B lighter and like the proximity of their top lines are, are just ridiculous. Um, and then you get, you factor in the fact that you can like do that, um, you know, uh, 
What's, I'm, I'm locking. I'm, my brain's shutting down for the day, apparently, in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can do the time, the time scrubbing to, like, you can look at data from, you know, last week or last month or last season. So in terms of, like, crop rotation, too, like, was it corn last year? Well, now it's going to be in this year. But you can go and validate that on Spartan Forge. But um, LiDAR is radar using light is what Bill just texted me to save my ass. He's obviously listening. Probably Thanks, Bill. His face is to his palm and going, come on, Eric. But um, no, this is this is like really fun stuff, man. Like this is so I'll let you go back to the camera. I'm going to I'm going to no, I want to so hear I want to so hear the camera thing. But yeah. I just want to point out that even before the camera thing. So like the the jump you're making right now. Right, Eric, is yeah. like it's all relates to. And I and I mentioned this on with Bo Martonic on East Meets West. Like there's two things great deer hunters do. They dedicate an immense amount of time. And they become fanatical about one thing. Jake, with the last few seasons, however many days he's put in, is an immense, crazy amount of effort and miles. And de- and every time you walk by a scrape or a rub, like it's building this catalog in your mind, whether you know it yeah. or not. Like the sub, like all of that. And that's where like you haven't had the chance to just put in as much time as like some of these other people. And most people haven't. But, like, that's where this comes from. So those people who are like, oh, how do these guys always do yeah, it? Yeah. Like, there is luck that is involved, but, like, it's also this immense amount of time that's been dedicated to this thing. And then Jake has obviously, like, found this beautiful terrain system that is efficient in your trail cameras. Like, running trail cameras here in Wisconsin, I, when he was talking about going back and forth between focusing on, some like, a couple really good areas versus widespread like i've done that back and forth over yeah, you the put last a lot 20 of years to cast that wide yeah net. and like yeah. sometimes i cast a wide net but like if you're casting a wide net one or two cameras per property like you have to have a great spot to be able to pick up pictures mm-hmm. like if you don't have a great spot to hang a camera you're not going to know what the heck is on there whether you think you do or not like so jake has found a spot that not only is going to give him great pictures that hub scrape because all of those beds the surrounding points they're all going to come down and cross that spot, like he mentioned, at some point. He's got a great spot to collect pictures and collect inventory of that area. And then that translates directly into hunting that area as it correlates to a food source. So, he, like, his efficiency, he always talks about efficiency. He's yeah. found a spot that makes him super efficient in collecting pictures and in hunting. And he's just trying to replicate that as many times as he can. That's awesome. And, and no. like, that's my view of what Jake does and does really well. The that's a great summation, Derek. Dude, good job. Like, <laughs> I, I, and I just need this extra like talk to like really flesh it out in my mind. And is that helping or hurting? Yeah, I don't no, know. No, I'll have to listen to this episode again probably, but it's good. The the so Dan Infall, you had mentioned him at one point. We had him on our podcast a long time ago, back in the Where to Hunt days. Also, and I happen to see him in Fleet Farm every year for gun season in the same aisle, <laughs> picking up whatever potato, potato chips because he lives like not far. Um, also, some at a Mexican restaurant bought him a shot, and that didn't go well because he doesn't drink, and I didn't realize that. So I ended up taking an extra shot. Tequila. <laughs> 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 but uh. to, so he, he, at some point, and, you know, I'd, like, clearly he didn't invent this, but he talks about it. He talks about oxbows. So I'm going to give him the credit there for talking about oxbows. But oxbows are the same shape as this hub system you're talking about. It's a C. And an oxbow, the deer, uh, even if it's a small oxbow or a large one, an oxbow is the bend in the river, and they tend to bed with their back to the, like, as close to the river as possible, so anything coming at them from the open part of the sea shape, they can just jump in the water and back out because a lot of predators aren't going to jump in the water. 
I, so like it's just interesting that deer are, are using the C shape. I I just connected this dot as you were talking about it, so I just felt compelled to talk about it. No, I think it's a great all. correlation. I've had a lot of success around water. Um, that's been my jam right now. Like water has been really helpful for me. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is whatever it is, whatever you have success with, just continue to build off that, right? And just continue to fine-tune it and ask those questions why. And that's the only way you're going to build this confidence. You know, the second part of your question earlier was how do you build the confidence to go into some of these areas and just know you're in the right spot? And honestly, the there's a couple different things there. But I would say the first thing is, like we've already been talking about, it's by making those mistakes, by learning from those lessons, by staying open-minded enough to continue to learn and evolve and not just thinking that you have everything figured out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to every hill country podcast I can to try to just get a little bit better. Like I'm, I'm made up with this stuff like you guys are and like a lot of your listeners are. So for me, it's like, I want to make sure that I have the most amount of knowledge possible. I want to go in and I want to try it. And then I want to evolve my own strategy based on when I fail, because I'm going to fail at first. Like it's just going to happen. It should happen. You know, maybe it doesn't every time, but I think that, I think that failure is always looked at in the hunting world as like this terrible thing, like this, this big blanket that gets pulled over you and like you failed for the season. Well, you know what? There's so much to take away from like my season last year of spending 70 days in the woods, failing 70 times. Like I came out of that season, in my opinion, a much more well-rounded than I was before that. And I'm grateful for every failure and I'm going to just be a better hunter this year. Like I'm going to figure out a way to take all that information gained and evolve it and then come out the other end a little bit better yeah you can't you can't get better unless you're willing to fail and it's hard to have that mindset because you don't failing it dude it sucks it's not a good feeling no and not failing like then you're just kind of comfortable you don't have to deal with the the pain of failure so this is stupid too like i used to disc golf when i was younger i loved it people always thought i was a stoner i wasn't i just like disc golfing it's fun and I got really good at a particular throw, like this right-handed underarm throw. I got super accurate. With the one finger? Under? Two fingers underneath. Two, oh, and like this, two this fingers, flick, always you know? two. <laughs> and I got really good with it. But that shot was o- always only great for like right-handed or like right hooks. Yeah. And I could S-curve it and do great. But there was a lot of times where I needed to whip it across my chest from left to right. But every time I did that, I sucked at it. I would just, I would just, that thing would just ratchet to the right, never come back to the left. I would suck at it. And I was like, uh, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to commit this summer to learning this other throw so I can be, so I have more tools in my toolbox so I can approach more. So I failed the whole time. Like, I just failed. And everyone's like, dude, you should just go back to the other throw. I'm like, no, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. And eventually, I, I got it down. And then I was even better. I had to go through a season of failure to add that to my arsenal. And so with Whitetail, I remember the, the season when I decided, I'm going to spend an entire season doing weird shit that's uncomfortable I've not done before and bump bucks. I want to get eyes on these things. I want them running away from me. I want to get close. I don't care if I kill it. I just need to know that they're there. And I wanted to get that validation. So I've gotten like past this huge threshold of failure. <laughs> I think I'm fine. But that's like, still, you know, it's like, like six seasons of failure. But I'm adding to my arsenal of overall capability. And if I wasn't willing to fail, you're not going to add anything new to your tool belt. Being willing to fail is just saying you're being willing to grow. Like, you're yes. be, you know what I mean? Like, that's yep. really what it is. And I I drove up to the cabin the other night, uh, Sunday night, three-hour drive. I wanted to go scout, and I was picking up a new bow. 
And uh, the drive up, I listened to uh, John Dudley, who's a phenomenal archer. And one of the things he talked about was at an early age, he realized that if you turn all of your worst issues, your worst, you know, your problematic failures, what you are the worst at, into your strongest attributes, you'd be so much better. So mm -hmm. he would, he said the same thing. I would take these things that I thought I was bad at and I would focus on them for a month. 21 days to break a bad habit, psychology says. And he would focus on them and then I'd turn those into his strengths. Like that's the idea. Well, I also have an opposite belief. Did. I also have an opposite belief where like I'll Let's just punt, I also just punt things I suck at. Like <laughs> I will not do math. I suck at grammar. Like None I'm not gonna get better hunting. at those not things. Important. <laughs> you know. Not important. But yeah, I mean even our studio, like how many times like do I fail in this place because I decided to reinvent the wheel here, you know? Um, no. So that's uh, if we have failures, it's because we're trying to grow. But dude, anyways, we've we've hijacked what, whatever you were saying about cameras and Intel and all that stuff. But we're just getting all excited <laughs> over here. No, I love it. I love the rabbit holes. This is what it's all about. But it's it is a yeah, it's a learning thing. That's what hunting is. So great. I can't ever articulate to my wife. I'm like, it's a puzzle that I'll never solve, and that's why I love it. But I also hate puzzles, so that's confusing. It's just interesting. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead, Jake. <laughs> oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll get into this in a little bit. I'm well, no, I just, it. I just, I love listening to people who are successful in the white world and how their tactics and what, how their brain works is just different. Being a teacher and educator, like I love to see all the different facets of how people attack different problems, right? Like a word problem or like deer hunting is just a really complex problem. And everybody attacks it in a different way. And I love seeing you, you know, you find a finite way that works for you and you make that work. And there are other people who will find a, like I've heard you say, you know, I'll, I would rather find a deer that's killable than a bigger one that I don't think is killable. Like it, it's in a terrain, it's in a situation type that's different than what I'm used to that I don't think I can figure out. And that's just so interesting. Like, I'm a stubborn son of a bitch, and I will find a deer, and I will hunt it wherever the hell it lives and be super unsuccessful. <laughs> this is what I've done my whole life. I'll be super unsuccessful for years chasing this, but that deer will teach me so much. And, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, and it comes back to the efficiency factor. I feel like that's a really important part of who you are. Um, me, I, I, like, I'll go on a four-day hunt out of state, never have scouted and just throw hunts like just think about it hardcore like wind terrain and i just i don't care if i see something or not like i learned something on the way and then i'll scout my way out oh jeez the rub line was just 50 yards down the hill and it's just interesting to Maybe see how different people's minds yeah. work right like it there's no right way there's no wrong way yeah 100 percent. and the other the other part of that question of you know, how you get in the right spot and how do you like act upon that intel? I think the other side of that that we really haven't spoken on a whole lot yet is just confidence, right? It's like figuring out a way to build that confidence. And I don't think there's any better way to do that than just trusting yourself and your abilities. Like, and it sounds really simple, right? Like if I'm, I'm sitting here saying, and it sounds super simple, but like, even I find myself getting caught up in this from time to time where I question myself, seems like when I do that, I should have just trusted my gut. And so like, I'm a, the, the way that I hunt is like very feeling based. And I've heard a lot of people talk about like hunting very specific intel and like being extremely intel based. And I think that that's very important. But I also think it's very important to not lose sight of your feelings and your emotions as well. Because it if you trust yourself and you go in and you fail, 
you're going to learn something from that. And then your gut instinct is going to be a little bit different next time. And you just keep doing that time after time after time. And eventually your gut instinct is going to get a little bit better. And so if you just continue to trust yourself, I think that you're going to build into the hunter that you want. Cool. And that there's a lot that goes into that though. There's, you know, like somebody that this is their first year scouting. Like what I would tell you is go out and scout as hard as you can. Like, I know you might be limited on time. You might not have a ton of areas you can hunt, but whatever you can do, do leave it all on the table and go into this season and make a decision and just trust yourself and go for it. And if you fail, you know what? You're going to learn a lesson. You're going to figure it out. If you go kill the buck, congratulations. That's awesome. It probably won't happen to me very often, but that's a really, really cool thing. Man, I've been just but like I, a little bit off the mark and that's been enough for me to feel validated. Like I even, so I had a, so if you ever, if you end up, not that you have time either for the record, but if you ever wanted to watch anything other than the latitude stuff, check out the OK Center YouTube, check out the playlist for the, we'll, the season of we'll see how it goes. And there's the episode I got the buck. That's fine. But then there's this one called that was a lot of shenanigans. And I think there's like, I don't know, 60 jump cuts of me scratching my head going, I don't know. I don't know. Is that the tree? Is this a tree? And I'm just in all these different spots. The same for like this one happened for like three hours. I couldn't pick a spot. And I'm looking at the camera and I'm like, dude, if Derek were here, he would have had a spot picked. Right, like this wouldn't be happening. I just you could just see me doubting every thought I was gonna make. But what ended up happening is I got really close to this this six pointer on a crowded public property, and I was just like, man, I was probably 20 yards off the mark, and and just on the opposite side of this thick stuff. And when I saw him come through, my heart was through my chest. I was freaking out. I thought it was a, I thought it might've been a 12 pointer for me. <laughs> like it just didn't matter because I had figured it out. I was like, I figured out where he was betting. I figured out where to set up and I was just slightly off. And if you have those th to me, when I say success, like that, that to me is success. Getting the deer. Yeah, that's successful. But like those other moments, th there's other successful moments that happen that can help build you up as a deer hunter and build up that confidence. And like for me, last season was a pretty big deal for that, like getting, making that happen. And then missing the fucking deer because my bow broke. That was, that was <laughs> Yeah, your peeps are snapped. But. Yeah, I love it. I see, do you see Lucas's little thing you wrote? Oh yeah, right let's there. throw that up on the screen. I don't have any callers in queue so I can take that off real quick. It says, uh, Lucas said, I've been doing a lot of like scouting sits during season when I don't know a lot of data for newer spots. It's worked and helped uh extremely well for me gain more confidence every time that's great yeah and i mean i can like observation sets right like i definitely utilize those i actually i probably utilize observation sets like especially when i was in new york more before season than i actually do in season where like just go out and sit on a field you know the week leading up to season and just trying to glass deer just like verifying where they come out and uh my buddy Ethan Eskew is really, really good at this. He does this in West Virginia a lot where he'll go sit on the field edges and, and glass and glass and glass every night. And then open a day, he goes in and he kills the buckies after. I'm like, man, that's awesome. So, yeah, the observation sets are huge. And then and then in-season scouting, I think, is extremely overlooked too. And, you know, like I, I hunted, well, I was in the woods 70 days during season last year. We've talked about that. But I don't think a lot of people know that I only took my bow probably like 15 to 20 times total. Oh, and I was crazy. confident. I was confident less than five times. Like I, I took the jet sled to drag the deer out less than five times. But, uh, but yeah, so like, I, you know, 50 of the times that I was in the woods in season, I didn't even carry a bow. And that, that to me is like my style of hunting and what I like to get out of hunting is the chess match. Like we talk about, right? Like I don't want to luck into a deer 
I don't want to go out and just like randomly come across one. Like for me, what gets me going is knowing his move and going in there and capitalizing on it. And it actually happens. So for me, if I don't have the intel and the confidence that I need to think that that's going to happen, I'd rather just go out and scout. And so like to get into in-season scouting a little bit, what I did a lot last year is I was like, I was rotating cameras. So I'd, I go into a new area and this is just trying to locate a shooter, right? Because of the EHD thing. I'd go into a new area, drop a camera down or a couple cameras. I would go to the next area and check the ones I already had out. And then if they were good, I'd hunt somewhere in the area. If not, I would take them down. And then the next day I'd do the exact same thing. Three to four days later, I'd revisit the ones that I put out on like that Wednesday. So I just had like this, this rotation of checking cameras and placing cameras, just trying to find deer and, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about that. Like if I was after just a buck, like that's probably not what needs to happen. You can scout your way in and hunt a lot. I think you get into more of that when you're like after like at least some type of deer. And so, you know, take that for what you will. Man, I love looking <laughs> into deer. I've got a, I've got a, <laughs> you, had a you were hunting I've got a, a compl- monster one the, down near here last yeah. season. And you were pretty hot to trot on that guy. Like you, you didn't luck into a deer, but you happened to set him a spot where you saw like deer that I would have happily killed. And but you were like after something very different. Yeah, I had hung. Yeah, I had hung some camera, two cameras in the summer, and got a picture of a very, very, very nice deer, um, and kind of focused my season and this season potentially toward that deer. But uh, that's I kind of like to do that. Similarly, I just had a question for Jake here. Um, this is totally selfish because it doesn't matter because. I'm not hunting the same area as you, but so, you know, at, at some point during the season and your trail camera pulls, you had realized EHD has taken a major toll and like you were going to have, you know, a hard time finding a deer to hunt. I'm wondering what changed in your approach and your trail cams. Like, were you continuing to focus on scrapes, even though you knew the deer population, mature buck density had potentially gone down? So, like, they were maybe frequently, you know, not frequenting scrapes as much. Did you focus more on security cover? Did you kind of stick to the same plan? How did, like, the adversity that you met with EHD and, like, the decreased deer numbers, how did that play into, like, how you decided to set trail cams? So, that's a great question. And that evolved the entire season to be honest with you when i first recognized that i had an issue it was in september a couple weeks before season and i went in and i checked you know i like i have 50 cameras in the woods and i check them and i had a bunch of really good deer like really big mature deer on camera that hadn't showed up in like two months and i remember walking to check cameras and a couple of these areas, the white oaks were dropping like crazy. And there was no deer crap on the ground anywhere. There was like nothing torn up. There was no deer sign, no little rubs, like nothing, no tracks, nothing happening. And so for me, what it really started with was I started taking cameras down. I would leave like one camera in that area just so I could come back there. And I started taking a lot of these cameras down and I was just scouting around, like looking at my maps, trying to find Really, I was trying to broadcast out wide enough to where I thought I could get out of some of these pockets of EHD where it hit really hard. It's like, okay, I know that this section's bad. Maybe one drainage over isn't far enough. Maybe I need to go like out of the county or I need to go like 10 miles this way or 10 miles that way. And so like, I kind of got into that thing, but it got to the point where I was really just like, I was trying to find deer sign. I was trying to find deer poop. I was trying to find tracks. I was trying to find any sort of buck sign that I could. 
And if I found that, wherever that was, I would, I would find a spot to just put a camera. And, you know, I did run some on scrapes. Like, I would get into some of these new systems, and there would be the hub scrapes were opened up in some of them. And I'd run a camera in there, and it'd be, like, a bunch of two-year-olds or year-and-a-half-old bucks and a couple does. Like, there just wasn't a ton of action anywhere. But I ran cameras up higher on trails. I ran cameras on, like, exact food sources because the food sources were very limited. We didn't have any red oaks last year. We didn't have any chestnut oaks last year. We had very sporadic whites. So in a lot of these big wood settings, there just there wasn't a ton of food, like a little bit of beech nut here and there, but not a ton at all. So it was really just a mile of covering ground. I would cover ground, find whatever sign I could. And when I got into that pocket of sign, just set a camera up somewhere that made sense to me at the time. It could be, I mean, I had some on even like on, on signpost rubs and I've never... I don't think I've ever ran a camera on a signpost rub until last year. And last year was the first time. I mean, I was just like when you're doing, when what you're doing isn't. Wi-Fi. Oh, he dropped. Yeah. Must be his, he warned Figure us. out a way to oh. make something else work in my favor. Even if it's something I have no idea what I'm talking about. And so that's what I did. I just like started i was just like scratching and clawing if that makes sense i was literally doing everything that i could possibly think of and listening to everybody and getting advice from you know the great thing about what we do now in these podcasts and everything else is i feel like the mobile hunting community is just they're all so great to each other right like we have so many people to learn from there's so many high level hunters and and i do the exact same that a lot of people probably do where i reach out to everybody i can like hey i would like to talk to you about this situation what do you think is going to work and you know, thankfully we have a ton of resources. So that was kind of my process. It was, it was all over the place. That is exactly what I had hoped you said, because I feel like that's no, but like anyone who's listening, especially to our podcast, who's like starting out and doesn't understand like how to set up in a hub system on a hub, like find that scrape. Like there's a lot of people who have no clue how to start there. Like Jake just explained the process of figuring out how to find a deer. Like what you just said is the blueprint anyone should take. Talk to anyone you can about anything you find and figure out how you can make that work in your advantage, which is what you just said. You, you never set up a camera on a signpost rub. Well, now you're interested in signpost rubs because there's some sign around it. Like that's what a beginning hunter has to do, right? Like you grasp at any resource you can. Well, yeah, and you've taught me like signpost rubs are designed, not designed, but they're like intended for other bucks to see it. It's the signpost. Visual and communication. And when you talk about rub clusters or clusters of rubs, like that's not, not for other bucks. Yeah. That's because he's killing time. And like there's all these like breadcrumbs you'll learn along the way. And, and there's no like, even though there's courses out there now and, and like online courses, and I'm not knocking them, but like you're not going to like go through it like college where you got to take the 101 course and then the 102 and like the prereqs. Like you might learn this that's really great intel so true. that's designed for something super advanced but you're not able to apply it yet, you know? But eventually you'll catch up to maybe what you had learned there or something. Oh, he dropped off again, darn it. Oh, there he's back. <laughs> but that's that's where we've talked about this before, but that's where trail cams can be so important. It's like you don't have to understand it, but, like, you can get confidence from what you kind of know or, like, attempt to get confidence by what, like, hanging a trail cam where you really don't know what's going on. Yep. Hang a trail cam there, and then you'll see. And then you like, is there about a box like, there? Can, can yes you, can or I no. Can I get a buck in daylight? Is like, there a buck in daylight? Yeah. Is it a big? Like, yep. You can learn a lot, and that's where a lot of confidence can come from. Is like just understanding how they use those different areas. 
It's cool. And there's like studies out there that validate things. The, the MSU uh, deer labs, the stuff with Spartan Forge is fantastic. So there's like the scientific stuff, the habitat stuff, the technical stuff, the tactical stuff, the strategy. Like there's so many things that go into it. But, you know, as much as we're a proponent for like, you know, ending hunter shaming and deer bashing and all that, which we just got some more of that bullshit on, on the internet the other day. I posted that I posted that Photoshop uh, montage of Yeah, the younger buck. And someone literally did say to me, I know where that tree is instead of congratulations, which I thought was kind of silly. And so I thought, <laughs> oh, it's a funny, I'll make a video out of this, right? Editing the tree out. And someone had commented, why would you even bother posting that deer to social media be to begin with? Did you're somebody say You're that? a grown man, yeah. I was like, <laughs> my comment, I didn't even get in. I was like, my comment was, I was a grown man who felt like a 12-year-old boy on Christmas, buddy. That's my first bow buck on public land. I don't give a shit what you have to say to me, man. It's all good. So, But I, I say all that to say, <sighs> by and large, the community is so helpful and positive. Like, negativity just happens to be loud, which we've said several times. But the fact that you can phone a friend, like, in these mobile hunting groups, I think they can get a bad reputation. You'll post something and people dogpile in a negative way. It's like they just start stomping someone, like the Jake's dude of the Tom that just got killed. Like, I think certain Facebook groups do that. Um, but there's a lot of people that are genuinely willing to be super helpful. And it's an abundant mindset or an abundance mindset. The guys that are really good at killing big deer have no concern about what you're going to do to impact their hunt. So they're willing to help. So, like, folks like you, you know, um, Greg Litzinger and Andy May. Johnny Stewart, Andy May, Tony, Tony Peterson, all of these guys are just ready to help you learn because they're not concerned that you're going to ruin it for them. Like, they want to share the experience with you so you can experience what that feels like also. Like, look at what Jake has done over the last few years with, like, describing his exact process Literally, this that is what works I do. Yeah. the best for him. <laughs> He's explained it, like, a million yeah. times. But that's like business. It's like, tell me what you did. Well, dude, what I did was at a different <laughs> moment in time. You won't even understand the, the, the mechanics of it yeah. all. Like, it's not literally going to work for you, but, like, you can learn from some things and apply it for how it will work for you and make it your own. It's, it's all of these things are, like, inogulous to all things in life. True. But hunters are very passionate, visceral people. Yeah, and, and contrary to popular belief, I think that there's, my opinion, of course, but I think that there's enough land out there to where we should be able to teach anybody anything they want to know and help them out. And we should be able to share the land. Like I don't, I don't deserve yep. it any more than anybody else does. And if they find a good spot, congratulations, go kill a giant. Like I hope you guys go in there and have fun and take your kids and everything else. So like, so yeah, it's just it's truly about finding people that are just good people and want to help. And like you said, the Facebook groups are overwhelmingly positive. You'll have a bad egg or two in there, but you know what? There's a lot of good people. So I think that there's, there's a lot of good in that. Yeah, yeah. I think we could probably bring the plane in for a landing <laughs> we could talk i can hear my kids rustling around i must let the dogs loose it sounds like a freaking train upstairs all of a sudden but same here i got one up there going crazy <laughs> <laughs> well dude thanks for taking time i know you got your other podcasts you're doing so it meant a lot to us so you're willing to take time out impromptu to, to jump on with us it's been a while it's good to talk with you anytime you're in wisconsin hit us up you can come and drink some bourbon here in studio with us or you know we have beer too we just never really drink the beer <laughs> usually yeah warm. of course guys but thank you for uh thanks for having me on and i'm gonna have to have you on in session soon yeah probably derek would be a better fit for that <laughs> oh come Greg. on come on you can bring no. me on we can talk about you know what not to do i'd be happy to be that guy that'd be great so no, it was great talking with you buddy we appreciate you you know diving into stuff and looking at it from kind of our perspective of our podcast here and uh just appreciate everything you've done
Yeah, and are you gonna be? You're gonna be at the Mobile Hunter Expo. Yeah, I'll be at both of them. That's gonna be an awesome time. And speaking of people, you know, talking, giving out information there, there the speaker list is unbelievable for those. So I actually am blessed enough to where I can go listen to all those guys. I can actually spectate nice. with all the guest speakers. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, the Latitude booth will be there, guys. So if you want to stop over and check some gear out or just talk hunting with us, we'll all be there. Nice, awesome. nice. That's awesome. Well, uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'll end the live broadcast. Hang out for maybe just a second or two. We'll debrief. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.